Hello, beautiful butterflies. Where's the music? Well, this episode is going to be a little bit different. This is actually episode 220 of the Flying Free Podcast, but today we're going to do something I've never done before. And that's share an episode that aired about three years ago, and it's just too good not to reshare for our growing audience. In this episode, Wendy Hernandez, who is a family law attorney in Phoenix, talks about how to prepare for your divorce case. You'll find out why the fear of losing your kids is based on lies and misconceptions, the kind of documentation and questions you should have before or while you are using an attorney, including how to find a good one or deal with a bad one, and how empowering divorce can be as you set boundaries for a new life of hope. Wendy has tried over a thousand cases during her 27 years as a litigator, so she speaks from extensive experience. Next month in the Flying Free program, I'm reteaching a course called Divorce Basics. And if you want to get in on that course as it's taught live and you're not already a part of the Flying Free program, then I encourage you to get your application in now so that you can be with us for this course. Just go to joinflyingfree.com. You'll have access not only to this course as I'm teaching it live and the replays, but all of our other courses as well. In addition to weekly coaching and community and support within our private forum of hundreds of Christian women who are going through the same things you're going through in their marriages. In my program, we don't tell women that they should get a divorce, but we do support women in their own autonomy an ability to make healthy choices for themselves. And for some, that means they're going to want to get a life-saving divorce from their abuser. This course is just one of the ways that we can help guide them on their way. The cost is only $29 a month, and you can cancel at any time. So head over to joinflyingfree.com for more information and to complete an application. Okay, without any further ado, here's our episode. Hi, this is Natalie Hoffman of FlyingFreeNow.com, and you're listening to the Flying Free Podcast, a support resource for women of faith looking for hope and healing from hidden emotional and spiritual abuse. Welcome to episode 84 of the Flying Free Podcast. Today, I am really excited to introduce you to Wendy Hernandez. She is a Phoenix family law attorney. She's a divorce coach, founder of the Hernandez Family Law Firm, and creator of this amazing YouTube channel that I hope all of you will go and check out. It's called Command the Courtroom. She's got bazillions of (laughs) videos on there on every subject that you could imagine when you're going into a situation where you're going to file for divorce and you're hoping to get as much custody of your kids as you want. Plus, she has online programs that we're going to talk about at the very end after you've heard all of the great things that she has to share in this podcast episode. Now, Wendy is coming at this with a lot of experience. She's tried over a thousand cases during her 24 years as a litigator, tackling every type of family law matter from divorce to child custody and everything in between. I love how she not only helps her clients, but she also helps women who are representing themselves to feel competent, confident, and comfortable in the courtroom. So welcome, Wendy. 
Thank you, Natalie. That was a wonderful introduction. I'm happy to be here. I'm so happy to have you. So I found you a few years ago when I was in the middle of my own custody case and your videos helped to calm my fears. I, from, from the standpoint of someone who doesn't know anything about court, my only experience was what I had seen on TV and in the movies and that it just felt so scary. Plus divorce feels scary. Um, the whole thing, you know, it, it, so let me just tell you this. Our audience is women of faith who are in emotionally and spiritually abusive relationships. Okay. So a lot of these women, they, they are, they've been kind of beaten down for many, many years and they don't feel really good about themselves. So the thought of having to haul themselves up to and go to court and face all of the things that they have been facing over the past years, but do it in front of a judge and in front of two attorneys and also have their soon to be ex sitting there and they're fighting for the most important thing in their entire lives, which is their children. That's usually the, you know, that's when it gets really, really scary. So, um, I just wanted to let you know that because those, the kinds of questions I'm going to be asking you are, are from those women coming from that type of perspective. I hope I can help. I'm sure I'll be able to. Yeah, yeah. I think so too. <laughs> One of their concerns too is that they're, it's not that they don't want their children to have a relationship with their father. It's just that because of the dad's propensities to be emotionally abusive, they don't want to leave their children alone with him. So they're scared about sharing custody because they're afraid of what their children will go through if they're not present as a buffer. And then there's this added layer for my audience because many of these women are also being actually threatened by their friends, family, and church support system, because these are women of faith, that they're not going to support them if they file for divorce because divorce is not allowed for a lot of these women. So, and I've even known women who've had friends and family get up in court and testify on behalf of the abusive husband in order to, you know, and which makes the mother seem crazy and selfish, which she's already been told that she is for so many years. So it's just this added huge trigger. And some of them feel pretty hysterical about the, you know, about I'm, I'm, this is never going to work. I'm never going to get my kids. Some people have this irrational belief too, that they're going to lose their kids and not be able to see their kids at all, which I think is, I mean, in your experience, how common is that? Well, in my experience, it really takes a lot for a person to lose their children. Um, my experience is, is that judges really want both parents involved to the fullest extent possible. Yeah. And it takes some, you know, severe drug abuse, you know, uh, severe mental health issues that are not being treated severe domestic violence on one part of the party, you know, maybe incarceration. These are the types of things that a judge is going to want to see before a judge literally disallows contact between one parent and the children. And, you know, I've had cases where all of those things were present, not the incarceration, but the mental health issues, the domestic violence and um, the drug, the substance abuse issues. And even in that case, a judge said, like, I think the children need both parents and these factors are present, but I'm going to do everything that I can to make it possible. So I'm thinking, Natalie, for your audience, you know, 
Um, you know, they're women of faith. I don't know how often all of these issues are present or that they're the ones who are suffering from the drug abuse and it could be possible, you know? Um, but even with those things present, if you're taking steps to, to make it better, you know, if you're seeking rehab or something like that, or, and especially with the mental health issues, because these are present in a lot of cases, especially if you're a victim of yeah. abuse, you know, um, but if you're taking care of the business and getting treatment and, and following your doctor's recommendations, then it, I think it's really difficult for a judge to rip custody away 100%. So hopefully that alleviates some fears on the parts of your viewers. Um, you know, and, and the fears are real. And I understand where they're coming from, because you're so used to being victimized by your ex, your ex or soon to be ex. And this gaslighting has probably happened. And they've led you to believe, you know, that you're this person that you're really not. So I understand where the fear is coming from. But I also want to say, you know, you got to recenter and kind of examine and look within and, and say, who am I? Like, really, who am I? And once, you know, they are firm in that, which is going to take some time after years or months of abuse, you know, then you have to proceed knowing who you are, you are and knowing your truth and knowing that, you know, if you show this truth to, truth to the court, that it'll probably be okay. Right. Right. Okay. That's good. That's really good. What do you see is the biggest mistake that we'll say women, I was going to say people, but since my audience is women, what do you think is the biggest mistake that women in this position make if that, when they're facing a custody battle? How can, they, and how can they avoid that mistake? Yeah, so I think one of the biggest mistakes that I see being made is allowing the bullying to continue and feeling afraid that, you know, if you're standing up for yourself, that you're not being a good person. Um, okay. And uh, just because you are making a stand finally, you know, for the first time in forever, doesn't mean that you're a bad person. It means that you are, you know, fighting for your life, number one, and fighting for your children, number two. Just because you're being strong you know, it doesn't mean that you're bad or um, that you're going, you're going to go to hell. It doesn't mean that. It means that you're standing up for your rights as a human. So um, I see people or women really living into their fear instead of living into who they really are. That's the problem. So, you know, walking into divorce is terrifying. It's terrifying for me. And I've never been through a divorce, but I go through a divorce every time I help a client wow, go through divorce. Yeah. And it's scary for me. So I understand, you know, you come from this place of fear, how it's a big step to go to this place of strength, you know, but it, it doesn't happen all at once. And it starts with little steps every day or every time you talk to your attorney or every time you go to prepare your case, you know, and with each little step, then progressively, you know, you, you will become this person really that you are and that you have the potential to be, but you have to live into that instead of living from the past or, you know, living in the past, which is fear. So I think really being strong, not allowing yourself to be bullied, um, ha having firm boundaries with that ex, you know, setting those boundaries, communicating those boundaries in a constructive way, um, rising above the unhealthy communication that will happen and that probably does happen, <clears throat> excuse me, and, you know, just communicating as to the issues. So I think just really, you know, to get back to your question, I'm sorry, that was a long-winded answer. No, this is great. 
Yeah, the mistake is, I think, just living in fear instead of really stepping into strength and okay. allowing that abuse to happen, continue. Okay, so what if, here's another, here's the opposite idea that, I, that I've actually seen. So sometimes what happens is they, they become, they, they start, be, they come, be, they become empowered enough to get out of their relationship and to file for divorce. And there's this, there's a lot of ang- like pent up anger over what's happened to them as they look back. And now they're like, they're, they feel like they're in a cat fight. And so they might even, now they're saying their truth, they're speaking their truth, but it's, sometimes it can feel like they're vomiting. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I'm just wondering as far as demeanor in court or even working with your attorney, um, how can they temper those feelings so that they don't come across as hysterical or defensive or like cutthroat? Like now I've got to, I've got to get my kids back and my, my husband can't have them at all. And you know, he's going to ruin their lives. And I know that that can kind of backfire on them as well. So do you want, can you talk about that a little bit? Yes. So, I mean, I think first off, when somebody's going through a divorce or any huge, you know, traumatic experience, they need to process those feelings. You know, there's the stages of grief and the place to process them is not on the stand in the courtroom at your custody trial. And, (laughs) you know, not. And so a, a lot of what I do is counseling with my clients, but I'm not a therapist. So I always tell you know, my my ladies, like, if you can get a therapist, that would be helpful. If you can get a counselor, that would be helpful. If, you know, if you, if you're not able to do that, maybe somebody from the church, a clergy member, somebody who can counsel you and help you process those feelings. And, you know, a lot of what happened during the relationship is probably going to be relevant during the divorce and custody trial. The judge has to look at the best interests of the children, you know, and if there was abuse happening, whether it was financial, emotional, or physical, the judge is going to want to hear about that. So, you know, it's a fine line between vomiting in front of the judge, but also sharing with the judge the information that the judge absolutely needs to know. So, you know, I think emotion is important because there's a disconnect when women go on the stand and they seem... Like, you know, there's no emotion, yet they're saying this abuse happened. It doesn't add up to the judge. Yeah. Um, so some level of emotion definitely is appropriate, but falling apart on the stand probably is not helpful. So they have to balance that. Yeah. Um, and I think the counseling prior to court happening and maybe even working with somebody like a divorce coach or something like that would be helpful. Um, but also really when you're on the stand talking about the facts and referring to the documentation, if there is any, you know, text messages and emails are powerful documentation. I've heard people say, you know, or judges say the person with the most documentation wins. That's not always the case, but documentation is great. Um, but as much as possible, removing the raw emotion from it. You know, okay. When you get out of a divorce, you're really raw, right? And hurt. Right. And maybe the further away that leaving the relationship gets, the emotion's there, but it's less raw. Does that right. help at all? Yes, it does. Okay, so speaking of documentation, though, so the women that, that are in this audience, they most some of them have also dealt with physical abuse, but the majority of them have dealt with mainly emotional abuse and spiritual abuse, so, you know, where the Bible is used, is kind of weaponized against them to control them. Um, there's a lot of lying you know, gaslighting, they're told things didn't happen that did or did happen that didn't. 
And um, they are a little bit sideways, you know, as far as like what's real and what isn't. A lot of them will ask me, what, what documentation do I have? My husband, I wish my husband would hit me so that I would have something to, to show that he would never hit me. He's never hit the kids. He just criticizes us. He just, you know, he'll, you, you know, I won't go into all of it, but right. what, what kind of documentation can those women put together to show, to prove emotional abuse in, in court? Well, you know, it's difficult. And probably in that situation, you know, the best documentation that they're going to get is their own documentation that they create <clears throat> as this is happening, or if, you know, they're out and it's no longer happening, really sitting down and writing about it. So if they end up in court at that time, they, you know, they have a good memory about what happened, um, you know, because it's hard for me to remember what I did last week or what my husband said to me last week or, you know, so if they can write it all down, it helps keep it fresh. That's something that they can refer to. But also I think the writing is good at helping them process things and um, maybe, you know, with the grieving process. Yeah. So, you know, and, and I don't want anybody to think if you don't have any documentation that you're totally dead in the water, that's, that's not what I'm saying at all. If you have documentation, that's really good. But if you don't, that's okay because documentation is not the only evidence that a judge considers a trial. Other types of evidence are witness testimony. And when evaluating a witness, the judge is gonna determine how credible that person is. And one of the things, for example, that a judge will look at in deciding credibility is a witness's ability to remember important details. So this is what I'm saying with the journaling that will help. And I personally think, you know, when a witness can get on the stand and they, you know, remember um, the the shirt that their ex was wearing or where they were standing in the kitchen when this happened or where their children were, these little details, to me, that shows that a person is more credible as opposed to just kind of glossing over things. So... Yes. So, so along those lines, one of the things that I did was I started for two years before I filed, I started documenting all of the things that he would say and do. And it helped me actually to see patterns. So a lot of Christian women, there's this verse in the Bible that says, don't keep a record of wrongs. Love doesn't keep a record of wrongs. So a lot of those women will be like, well, I can't keep a record of wrongs. So they won't write things down and they'll purposefully go into, you know, their brain will go into shutdown mode and they won't remember a lot of stuff. So what I I tell them to write stuff down, every little detail down that happens for as long as you can before you actually file for divorce. But so I did this and what I found is that there were patterns of behavior. So I put together, I never ended up going to court. We ended up solving it in mediation, but um, my document had the main, like five or six main patterns of behavior along with a few examples And that's what I brought to mediation. And that was helpful. And then the other thing is, um, I was thinking one thing that I can show is lack of response to emails or lack of response to everything. And you, so that's what I've been saving. I'm just giving this for those of you who are listening as an idea, you can also document things that are not happening that should be happening you know, like that he didn't show up for something or that he was supposed to, or he didn't keep a commitment or just those kind of negligent 
kinds of things. He's not communicating with you when you're talking back and forth on our family wizard about, you know, who's going to pick up the kids. So, um, those are, but I feel like it is more of a stretch for those of us who are dealing more with emotional abuse to actually find those really substantial, obvious, glaring examples of issues. I agree. And I love what you did, Natalie. And, uh, you know, I've had clients do something very similar to that, creating charts for me with the examples. And, you know, I think that's helpful. It would be helpful to the court. And, you know, you're talking about the, the uh, failure to respond by the husband or the ex, you know, and that's big. And I will tell you that uh, many, many years ago, I represented the husband um, and in a case like this, like we're talking about, mm-hmm. and um, he didn't respond. And that is exactly what mother used against him. And that's exactly what won her sole custody of her children. Cause the court said, you know, joint joint custody requires co-parenting and father has shown a failure to co-parent by his inability or unwillingness to participate. So therefore, I'm not giving him joint custody. So I think, you know, that's powerful to show the lack of what is happening or the, the um, rude responses that are happening or, um, you know, not showing up. You know, somebody who's saying, I want all of this parenting time. I want equal time. Yet when they get it or they get it during temporary orders, they're not exercising it. They're not making those phone calls when those phone calls are scheduled or the Skype calls. So that's really good. Those are good points that you brought up, Natalie. Okay. All right. So is there, so it sounds like there is hope then. Because that was one of my questions. Is there hope for women who are just dealing with emotional abuse that they can get as much time as possible with their kids? What can they, should they just resign themselves to probably just getting 50-50 or is there hope that they can get more than that? What, what are you seeing across the board? I don't think that anybody should resign themselves to 50-50 if they don't think that it's in the best interest of their children. You know, by the same token, and you already mentioned this, I think that it comes across as very unreasonable if, you know, someone were to go into court and say, I want dad to have zero time because the judge then would think you're crazy. And maybe that's what, you know, you think, but unless there's something really crazy happening, that's probably not going to happen. So you have to, you have to balance what you want against what the law says. Okay. Because in these cases, people usually don't get 100% of what you want. And that's part of the reason divorce is difficult. You know, in each case is different. You have to look at the facts of your case and decide what's best for your children in view of the circumstances. So, you know, if you have a husband who is married to his work and working all of the time and abusive on top of that, that may be a really good reason to ask for every other weekend you know, so uh, not one size fits all in these cases. And you have to look at the facts and there's, you know, if you're not, there's always a way you, you, you can be creative enough to make a good faith argument to, to the judge about what you think is best for your children. You know, and it, if somebody's telling you can't, then I don't think that they're thinking outside the box or being creative enough. That's my thought on that. <laughs> A little bit ago, you mentioned that you have your clients fill out forms that will help them to document things. Do you, mm-hmm. I noticed that you had a course. I think you have more than one course that's available. And plus you I do. do individual divorce coaching. So yes. why don't you, 
I wanted to talk about this at the end, but I actually decided that I want to talk about it right now. So, cause that would have been really helpful for me to be able to have like someone guide me through what I need. I had to kind of make this up as I went along and I'm more of a, my personality is more like I can do this and I'm constantly thinking about it. But a lot of the women that I work with, they're like dead in the water. They're just so exhausted and wiped out. They don't have the emotional or the brain bandwidth to come up and do this stuff on their own. They need help. They need like that kind of extra guidance. So why don't you tell us about more about what you would offer to maybe a, a coaching client versus what you offer in your courses? Yes. So, um, I have several courses and, um, you know, the one that's been really popular is the 21 day child custody challenge. And really what I do is I lead my clients or the people who are taking the courses on the same journey that I go through when I get a case and my steps that I take to resolve the case. Now the 21 day challenge only covers through a certain point, you know, but each day there's a little um, video that I share with them and a prompt. And, you know, so the amount of time to consume each day's content is less than 10 minutes. Okay. But the real work is, you know, for the person who has the custody case or the divorce, you know, and, and really, you know, it's going to require work, but I'm guiding them and telling them, okay, step one, this is what you do. Step two, this is what you do. Step three, this is what you do. So the 21 day challenge, we do that for 21 days. And, and that sounds like, that sounds like it would save you money work, you know, in working with your own, even if you were working with your own attorney, because you would already have your, a lot of your ducks in a row. Yes. And I, there's, there's been a lot of people who have attorneys who've taken these courses and they tell me their attorneys are like, bless you. Like, wow. uh, you know, like, you know, I'm not worthy because they have all of their, like you said, the ducks in the row, they're gathering the information, they're organizing the information, and then they put it together and give it to the attorney. And this saves a lot of money because yes. there's nothing that costs more money than me getting a backpack full of crap that I have to go through and figure out what it is. Yep. Yep. So, so, you know, so I have the 21 day challenge and I also have a, a you know, the other course that I really like to promote is the, the trial prep boot camp. And in that, I teach people what to expect in the courtroom at trial, you know, the order of things and, you know, who testifies first, what's going to happen, cross-examination, direct examination. And of course, nobody's going to be a lawyer after they take these classes, but they're going to know what to expect, which is one step ahead of what most people, where most people are when they get into this process, especially when they're alone. Yes. Um, You know, and as far as the divorce coaching Really, I'm doing the same thing, but I'm doing it on a one-on-one basis with people. And, um, you know, we're, get, we're diving into the specifics of their case. Mm-hmm. With the courses, they're very general, but I learn more about them and their situation and the facts of their case. And we brainstorm on what the best things are to be focusing on, you know, and then you kind of couple that because I'm a very touchy-feely person. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so there's some emotional support there with the divorce coaching that you wouldn't get with an online course. Mm-hmm. Okay. That, that's, I love, I'm so excited about this because I, <laughs> I get that question a lot. Like, Oh my gosh, I have my first trial hearing and I don't even know what to expect. What can I expect? And I'm like, I don't know. I never <laughs> got that far. <laughs> I had millions of them scheduled that were all canceled by my, <laughs> by my ex, but you know, so I know, ne- but I never actually went to one. Um, Okay. So here's another question. How can 
how can a woman prepare her children for a child-focused mediation? Yeah. So, you know, let me clarify uh, uh, that a little bit with you, Natalie, because that's foreign to me. When you say child-focused mediation, are you saying that the children are involved in the mediation? Because we don't have those here. Okay. Well, so what what, what we can do here, I'm in Minnesota, is you can have a mediation set up between you and your ex and the mediator and your attorneys, but it, to have the children represented and their issues represented, you get a neutral psych. It's oh. someone who's it's like, it's like has experience in psychiatry or, you know, something like a, me- a mental health professional who also maybe has court experience as well. And then he interviews the children and does a whole workup. And then he represents, he actually comes to the mediation as a representative of his findings. Okay. So, and we have some permutation of that in different like collaborative divorce, which I've also done in the past. And of course, in custody evaluations where the children are, you know, may or may not be represented. There's different types of attorneys who can speak for the children or speak on their best interest. But if you have an attorney who is speaking for the children, preparing the children, as far as preparing the children, I think that it's important Um, not to try to sway the children or try to sway them um, to say what you really want them to say or what you think that they want to say. You know, it's just important to let them know that, you know, mommy and daddy both love you so much and we want to spend as much time as we can with you and we're just trying to work it out. And somebody, you know, from the court is going to talk to you and it's important to you. It's important that you just tell them the truth. You don't have to be afraid that anything's going to happen to you. And, you know, and I don't know during your mediations, Natalie, or the child focused mediations, whether there's an admonition given that neither party is to, you know, reprimand the children about what they might say or if the children's voice is kept confidential or not. But I know for a lot of kids, there's a fear that one parent's going to find out and punish them. Yeah. But, um, you, you know, you have to just really tell them, tell the truth. We love you. You've done nothing wrong. We're trying to do what's the best for you, you know, and just reassure them that it's going to be okay. Yeah. But by no means, you know, get them, tell them, write a letter about what you want. I would never do that. And I had a client who did it once and she got punished big time. So, okay. So make sure that you're not coaching your kids on what to say in any kind of a situation where they are going to, where they have any kind of a voice. That's right. And, you know, and it's a different thing if you have a 12 year old who likes to write in her journal and then she gives you her journal or shares a letter with you, that's different than saying, okay, you know, Joni, you know, write a letter to daddy about what you want. Those are two different things. Right. Okay. All right. So, um, what if she loses, like, what if the mother not loses custody, but let's say that they end up doing, they end up getting to have, you know, 50, 50, that would be like probably what she would consider a loss. What are her options after that? Is it just kind of like, well, you know, I just need to accept it. Let's say that things continue to go downhill for her kids mm-hmm. and she's, what, is there hope for her to actually go back and figure out a new way of dealing with things? Can she present no, new evidence? How does that work? There is hope. Um, and the, you know, the good thing about child custody proceedings is that a decision is not necessarily forever and you can modify a court's decision. You can't modify it probably next month and maybe not even next year, but possibly next year. It depends. 
But what a judge is going to be looking at is a substantial and continuing change in circumstances and whether or not that's happened from the time that the decision was entered and whenever you're trying to make the change. So, um, you know, you know, a lot of times with these guys, they just, they want power and they want control. And once they have it, then they move on with their lives and they're not exercising their time. You know, and that doesn't always happen, but sometimes it does, mm-hmm. you know, so say you get, a, you know, an ex who wants his power, he gets his 50, 50 time, but then he's canceling, not calling, not involved with the school, you know, and, and different things are happening. Well, these are things that you can use because you're going to be documenting them now. Right. You can use it in the future to ask the court to modify parenting time because dad is not exercising it. And, you know, and I will say when people go back to modify time, it's usually best if you have more than just one reason for asking the court to modify it's rare that there's one smoking gun. Um, if you have two or three things that have changed, that is more helpful. Um, so say, you know, dad not doing what he's supposed to combined with maybe you starting a new family or the child having new step siblings or the child's not doing well in school or, you know, so there's a lot of changes that can happen. A physical move, a residential move could be a change in circumstances. Um, but I was, you know, I would recommend... Uh, people looking for more than just one thing. Uh, If you go to court with just one thing, I don't know that a judge is going to find a substantial and continuing change. Okay. Okay. And then I think my last question would be, um, a lot of the women that I work with have attorneys and they, some of them don't like their attorneys, but again, they kind of feel like they kind of feel like they're the little girl, you know, and everyone is their mom and dad. And the attorney kind of represents that authority figure in their life. And so they feel like, well, they're in charge. They must know what they're doing. But inside, they don't feel comfortable with what their attorney is doing. Maybe their attorney is not really doing much of anything. Their attorney is not really guiding them. In which case, they can go take your courses and figure it out on their own, right? Right. So, right, but how, sure. what should she be expecting? What's the minimum that she should be expecting from her attorney attorney? And when do you think, when would you advise her to let that attorney go? And how, do, what would that process look like to let your attorney go? Yeah. So she should at the very minimum from day one, minute one, be expecting and demanding of respect. Um, you know, I've had so many clients who come to me and say, I want to hire you. And then they start telling me their attorney used to berate them, yell at them, tell them they were stupid. And I don't understand that. It's like, you are paying this person, first of all. And secondly, they're supposed to be helping you. Right. So, you know, if you ever get a set, if anybody ever does that to you, they're they're not the right person because they're not treating you with the respect that you deserve. It's just more abuse. Okay. And, I would say if even once you're mistreated in that way, um, say bye-bye, you know, and there's a difference between that though. And, um, you know, uh, tough love, I will say that. Okay. Cause sometimes I have to give my clients tough love, but I'm never disrespectful about it yeah. and I never name call. So that's one thing. So in terms of timing as to when to get rid of it, if somebody yells at you, calls you stupid or whatever, is just disrespectful, then get rid of them then. Um, okay. So uh, can I interrupt here just a second? So when you, when you say get rid of, do you get your retainer money back that hasn't been spent yet? How does that work? 
it depends on the contract and what your your fee agreement says. But if you're you know you're being billed hourly and they haven't used some money, yes, then you're entitled to that money back. So I would want an accounting of everything that's been done today and how much is left in the trust account, and I would want that back. They are required to give you your file, you know. So you must they can't withhold your file if you owe them money. They can't withhold the file from you. They have to give the file back to you. There's ethical rules that state that. Um, so, you know, I would say though, you know, and sometimes bills I think are subject to dispute. Of course, that's the whole other issue with attorneys. You got to look at the bill and see in good faith whether they quote earn the money. And if you feel that they earn money, then if you can pay them. But um, so, yeah, you you're entitled to the money. You're entitled to your file. Okay. And um, but in terms of timing, you know, and I've had friends and I've had clients or uh, people who have other attorneys who tell me, oh, I just am not get, getting a good feeling or I don't feel like my attorney listens to me or I tell my attorney one thing and then we go into court and the attorney says the exact opposite of what I told them. Like, mm-hmm. uh, so and I have a friend who's going through a divorce right now and that's happening to her constantly. Um, and I keep telling her, get rid of your attorney. So you have to trust your instinct. You have to listen to your gut. Your gut de- de- delivers valuable in, you know, information. That's called your intuition. And the sooner, the better, because the longer you go, the more difficult it is going to be to get out. It's like the gambler's de- dilemma. A gambler goes to Vegas and you know, they're losing money you know, at a table and they keep throwing money at it, thinking, okay, it's going to turn around. It's going to turn around. And then pretty soon they're $10,000, $20,000 in. And they feel like, I can't get out because I've invested this much. It's the same thing with an attorney. So yeah. if your intuition saying, oh, something's not right or I don't like this, then get out and find a new attorney early on. There's a lot of attorneys out there. And you know you have to find somebody who resonates with you and who's in alignment with who you are and what you want. Is there a place where people can go to kind to find a really good attorney? Like if someone is just completely starting out and they've only been thinking about divorce and now they're thinking, yeah, I want to go find an attorney. What would that, what would their first step be? Well, um, there's a website, website called AVO. Um, it's AVVO.com and it's a ratings website for attorneys and not all attorneys claim their profile, you know? So I guess if an attorney hasn't claimed a profile, unless that attorney was referred to me by somebody I really trust, I, I probably wouldn't use that attorney. But you can look at AVO and see what, you know, people's experiences are with a certain attorney. Um, I would also um, look at Google. That's, you know, Google reviews are a good source of information that social proof. Really look at what other people are saying. Yeah, And then of course... You know, um, so those are two places to start. And I always think like referrals are great. You know, if, you know, if you have a friend that you trust or a friend of a friend that you trust, um, you know, see if they can recommend anybody. Um, if you know an attorney, any kind of an attorney, not, any, not just a family law attorney, if you know a real estate or t- attorney or a, um, you know, landlord tenant attorney, I bet that attorney knows somebody that they trust. So it's, you know, not settling for the first person or the cheapest person, uh, but the person who you think is going to do a good job and that resonates with you. Right. Okay. That's great. All right. So we talked a little bit about what you do and what you have to offer. Um, So I just want to encourage anyone listening to um, 
check out Command the Courtroom, her Command the Courtroom YouTube channel for sure, just to get more of a taste of like, this is a podcast. So your people might be seeing this, but my people are just hearing you so that you can see her and, you know, like get a feel for who she is and what she has to offer you. And then you can also go to her website and get on her mailing list. And she get, gives you lots of value on her mailing list as well. And what's your website URL again? It's commandthecourtroom.com. Oh, so, so easy. <laughs> so go do that, get on her mailing list and check out her um, website because that's where she, you can see what sh- the products that she has to offer, the help that she has to offer for you. And I think ultimately this is going to save you a ton of money because it's going to set you up with the knowledge and the skills and all of the stuff that you need to do ahead of time. So like, like she said, you can bring all of this stuff to your attorney. Your attorney doesn't have to wade through everything because everything that your attorney and their paralegal do for you is billable. So why, why spend money on, on that? Why not just do it yourself bring, present your case to your attorney and then make it super easy for them. Plus they'll really love you for it. It sounds like. That's right. And That's totally. <laughs> you'll get off on a really good foot with your attorney. For sure. So, that's great. Is there anything else that you wanted to share with this audience before we close? Um, you know, Natalie, I'll just say when their kids are, con- where kids are concerned, the judge is always going to be thinking about the best interest of the kids. So above all, you know, and I know all the ladies out there that are your followers are thinking about their kids first. Uh, just keep that in mind, but there's specific legal factors that the judge is going to look at. So when they go to commandthecourtroom.com, I have a best interest checklist where I, I went through several years ago and outlined the best interest factors from every single state. And so there's a comprehensive wow. list of every factor and they're not organized by state. They're just in one big list. But um, you know, your ladies can know what factors the court is going to look at and which factors apply to their case. That's free at commandthecourtroom.com. So I just wanted to share that. And I also wanted to thank you for being such an awesome host and inviting me to be on the show. Thank you. There's so much for giving us your time, sharing your time with us. You're welcome. And for the rest of you, thanks for listening. Until next time, fly free.